0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery.
1: We've gotten to a point in Bitcoin's history where the government is paying attention and has started to realize that Bitcoin isn't going away, mining is not going away, so it's in their best interest to start working with these miners. And But generally, utility companies and a lot of the local governments actually favor Bitcoin mining today because it creates extra jobs, it creates a lot of extra cash flow.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to the second episode of Coindesk's Bitcoin Having 2020 podcast series. On this episode, I'm joined by cryptocurrency mining expert, Christy Lee Minahan. She works with developing GPU and ASIC mining products at various companies, including CoreWeave, CoinMine, and most recently, Stealth Mode Hardware Manufacturer. Also joining us is Pavel Moravik, the CEO and founder of Brains, a cryptocurrency mining company which has been operating and developing the first Bitcoin mining pool called SlushPool for the past six years. It is a pleasure to have you two on the
1: podcast. Thank you for having us.
0: The latest estimates put the next Bitcoin halving where block subsidy rewards reduce by half at 45 days away. That's just under two months or in the next six weeks or so. Pavel, what are Bitcoin miners doing to prepare for this once every four-year event?
2: I think they... They behave mostly the same as in between these events because the halving is very similar to a price drop. So miners are really facing this kind of problems during the years, inevitably, just by price movements. This is a different uh, situation only because we know upfront that it's going to happen and it's going to be roughly 50% production. But the strategies are mostly the same as, as during the years, just be as efficient as possible, cutting costs, running the machines on the cheapest electricity available with the highest efficiency. It is very similar to other scenarios.
0: And given that a lot of the estimates going into when the having is going to occur and how much the rewards are going to drop are known, Christy, do you know of uh, particular innovations or strategies when it comes to manipulating hardware that miners are already engaging in?
1: I wouldn't say manipulating hardware is the right word, but in preparation for the halving, quite a few farms have already been upgrading their equipment. They started about six months ago, slowly purchasing um, some of the newer machines, such as Bitmain's S17 or their um, new S19 when they can and getting in on the upgrade train. There's been a surge in development and uh, experimentation with alternate firmware for machines as well, trying to give an edge over the competition. And there has been a few cases of very large Bitcoin mining operations engaging in some creative consolidation, where they actually strip out a lot of the remaining chips on their current Bitmain uh, devices and replace them with their own ASIC chips. So they keep the shell of the device, but it's got uh, new hardware running inside. The one we know of that's publicly stated they do this is Tall, who is a prominent Bitcoin and Bitcoin SV miner. We've seen a few of these trends happening, but most of the miners have already prepared for the halving. They've done their necessary preparations.
2: If I can comment on it. There is an mm-hmm. interesting situation happening right now when the price dropped to the half, and you can see like 20% drop of hash rate, which is not what people would expect. But the, the price drop is basically what would halving do if the price is stable. So miners were mostly ready for the halving. What's gonna happen in the next Two months, it is a different story because it's another halving in happening. But the yeah, actress summarized it nicely. I have to put a shameless plug uh, in it because she mentioned that a lot of people is experimenting with uh, mining firmware. We just today are releasing new software for auto-tuning of chips for uh, one of the older machines, S9s, and the whole family. And the, the reason why I'm saying it it can save like 20 to 30% of energy, which is a crucial thing, especially in the the future days. So yeah, miners tend to try fine efficiency.
0: And I'm glad that you brought up recent price drop of Bitcoin because due to the 20% reduction in, did you say hash rate? Yeah. There was also a repercussion of that there was a 16% drop in Bitcoin mining difficulty last Thursday. Bitcoin mining difficulty is a key indicator of miner participation on the network. So a 16% drop indicates that a very large portion of miners had basically turned off their machines and stopped contributing hash power. Christy, what does the drop in mining, Bitcoin mining difficulty say to you? And how do you think that that percentage might even go down again in the course of just about six weeks when the next Bitcoin halving is set to occur?
1: Well, part of it is miners removing a lot of their old hardware or actually Mm. taking their old hardware offline and uh, getting prepared to ship it to lower cost regions. So a bulk of the mining infrastructure in 2018 and 2019 was made up of Bitmain's S9, InnoSilicon's T2T, and Canon's eight series, so 841, 821, et cetera. Miners haven't actually just recycled these devices, they've still been running up until the price drop. Miners have slowly been phasing them out, or um, I've seen a recent trend where they've actually been shipping them to lower cost regions, like Georgia, the country, not the state, (laughs) Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, some of the Russian bloc countries, shipping that equipment over there where it can actually run for one to two cents all in. And this is actually cheaper in the long run versus recycling this equipment. You have to pay about uh, $25 to $30 to recycle an individual S9 versus just sending it overseas where it can mine happily. You can split your revenue rewards with the uh, farm owner or the utility company. And if it happens to disappear, you've got free recycling built in. It's great. So you've had a lot of individuals that have suddenly dropped off and turned off their devices when that price crash hit because it was no longer profitable. That doesn't mean we won't see that same equipment come back. The other thing to be aware of is when miners usually turn off some of their infrastructure, They have to replace it with other infrastructure. All mining firms have minimum power requirements, meaning if they get really cheap electricity in the three to four cent range, how they're getting that is by making a commitment with the utility company that they're going to consume so many megawatts. If they turn off three quarters of their infrastructure or a quarter or whatever number, they still have to replenish that. So you have a lot of farms that have just been turning off their S9 devices and they're replacing the um, electricity consumption with newer equipment. We're just not seeing that yet because it's very much a staged affair. But I wager slowly as we get up to the halving point and beyond, we're going to see Bitcoin increasing again. Yeah, be- I would... Oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, the price drop just... Made what the halving would do if the price was stable. It's just accelerating uh, phase out of all the hardware and these processes were done faster. And one more thing what would influence the hash rate after halving is China is going to wet season and the price for electricity in China would drop. And this would help, in my opinion, to keep the hash rate quite high. I don't expect myself that the hash rate difficulty would drop significantly during the halving.
0: And Pavel, you said that was because of what was going on in China and electricity costs there?
2: Yeah, there is a seasonal effect given by rainy season in China where you can get cheaper electricity from hydropower. And you can see a lot of hash rate deployed during the wet season in China. And I think I think it's going to happen this year as well. These guys tend to have the best access to hardware. So the new hardware coming into the network will be the most efficient one with the highest hash rate. So I think it would have stronger influence on the total hash rate than dropping off S9s in several other reasons in the world. Which to some extent already happened because the price dropped and quite close Time before the howling. So I think people just did what they were prepared to do when the howling would kick in.
0: I think a really important point that both of you guys are alluding to is that difficulty is a lagging indicator of what is going on with hash power. Even if more hash power were to be put back onto the network, we wouldn't necessarily see that reflected in difficulty levels until a couple of weeks, as difficulty is only adjusted every 2016 blocks. Given that miners may be repowering and turning back on older machines in different parts of the world with cheaper electricity, I am curious to ask you guys about this idea of miners not just moving their machines to areas of the world where electricity is cheaper, but also moving to chains where potentially for a temporary period of time, it's more profitable for them to be mining on. Not the Bitcoin chain, but say something like the Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV chain. Christy, can you give a deeper explanation than I just did?
1: Yeah. Well, it's something that miners have been doing since 2010, actually. We call it profit switching in the industry. And it's really just taking advantage of difficulty differences, block reward differences, sometimes transaction fee differences between different coins that share an algorithm. So right now we have three main coins that share SHA-256D. There's um, roughly 20 coins, but only three of them actually have liquidity. And so what miners will do, and pools allow this as a service as well, where you can set yourself to profit switch. Basically, you jump from chain to chain to whatever is the most profitable coin. You mine it, and then you convert it to the coin that you do want to hold. So miners might be mining onto Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV, but they then convert their coins to Bitcoin and they end up getting more Bitcoin than if they were just mining the actual Bitcoin chain itself. We see this in mostly small and medium operations. A lot of the larger operations no longer do this. It's partly due to taxable events. So there are taxable events each time you switch. It's partly due to optics you know, a farm that's really, really dedicated to Bitcoin might want to dedicate all their hash power to securing the Bitcoin network. That's their first prerogative. It could be due to investors. So their investors might have um, ethical or political reasons why they do not want to mine to, say, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV or vice versa. So each, each mining farm really approaches this in a different manner. Profit switching will never go away. It's one of the risks when your coin shares an algorithm with another coin. If there is profit to be made, miners will jump onto that. So we're going to see that continue to be a thing. Thankfully, it's not a large majority of the network that engages in profit switching. Otherwise, you would see these massive swings of 50 etahash hash suddenly disappearing from Bitcoin and going over to Bitcoin Cash and vice versa.
0: Pavel, would you agree that most likely there won't be a large swing in miners moving between chains during the event of the halving? And would you agree that the motivations for not moving chains, they do come down to political reasons, but also that the profits there to be made aren't as large as perhaps they used to be?
2: Yeah, I agree with everything that was already said. I don't expect a huge swing because if you look at how much Hash rate is contributing to which chain. And if you analyze the difference in the reward, then you can quite easily calculate how much hash rate would switch. And miners are quite efficient in the switching. So there is not a very huge opportunity to be made profit switching on SHA-256 algorithms anymore. Because once there is some over the limit or some critical amount of miners doing it, then the, the spread uh, what you can make, the margin is pretty small. And I completely expect that once the halving hits, it would just readjust in very short amount of time, and then the state uh, would be like calm. It would not be a major event. So it seems
0: perhaps a more dynamic or bigger change strategy, I should say, that miners are planning. And really taking into account in lead up to this having, as you guys have both talked about and touched on already, is this idea of electricity costs and how that plays into miner profitability. Pavel, in our previous interview, you had explained a number of different contracts and deals that miners are starting to engage in in order to ensure that their Operations remain competitive and profitable even after this 50% reduction in subsidy rewards. Do you mind elaborating again and just telling our listeners some of the interesting ways in which miners are able to run their machines for zero or even negative costs to electricity?
2: Yeah, we have discussed a lot of things. So I was not sure what you're referring to, but yeah, these applications are quite interesting for example there are applications like helping to balance the electricity network by switching off and on the machines and you can be paid for this kind of service you're providing to the network which is an interesting thing to do because you can run miners for zero or negative electricity price it has its problems but it can be done and it is done in in reality there is Another application like using gas, which you have to deal somehow with, and you can use it for producing very, very, very cheap electricity. The gas is available for zero cost. You have to somehow deal with it uh, anyway. So there are applications like this where you can get to very low electricity or even negative electricity price. These are typically geographically quite distributed which is a good thing in general for Bitcoin mining from the Bitcoin ecosystem perspective. People try to be very creative in, in this direction. We don't do this ourselves, but the stories are very nice to share and hear about.
0: Definitely. I like going into some of those creative ways that miners are looking to reduce electricity costs. And Christy, I'm wondering, have you seen some of those strategies that Pavel is referring to as well. And what are some others that you've also been taking notice of in the mining industry?
1: So it varies from country to country. I'll start by saying that. In the US and Canada, we've recently seen a surge of companies that have decided to partner with gas providers And they work with owners of older equipment, such as S-9s or the T2Ts, this older generation equipment I was referring to. And they actually run it, consuming a lot of the natural gas that would otherwise just be burnt off back into the ground or into the air. You've got two right now that are quite prominent. One is, I believe they're called North Data Systems, I think is their name. And the other one is Crusoe Energy. So those are the two really prominent ones in the U.S., Oh, and there's also upstream data. So they're they're teaming up with natural gas providers and it's essentially free money. This gas would otherwise just be burnt off or wasted because it's not always consumed by their traditional use. So Bitcoin mining provides a great way to consume this electricity and transform it into money. You've also Hmm. got quite a few operations that are taking advantage of some of the uh, tax benefits and um, local government benefits of using uh, renewable energy, mostly solar and uh, wind-powered energy. Um, there's been a few operations that have set up dedicated wind farms for mining Bitcoin. And the important thing to understand about pursuing a lot of these renewable outfits is that they're not always stable. So you're not always going to be mining Bitcoin 100%. Renewable energy usually needs to be paired with some other form of energy, just because it is very bursty, um, and we we're still developing a lot of technologies to harness it and store it. But you're seeing a lot of operations that are coming in and saying, "Hey, that's okay. Let's just deploy these uh, miners here, and when there's excess capacity, we can just flip them on and start mining and turn that into some money." You've also got um, in China quite a few operations that. Team up with businesses in their specific uh, region or province or team up even with local government and um, contribute to mining in that manner. And they get a lot of discounted rates on not only electricity and tax, but um, also other things like benefits for workers, extra staffing. So that's also, you know, sort of a strategy that many miners have been pursuing. This idea of teaming up with really big companies and with government is something we're starting to see more and more across um, the globe when it comes to Bitcoin mining, actually. We've gotten to a point in Bitcoin's history where the government is paying attention and has started to realize that Bitcoin isn't going away, mining is not going away, so it's in their best interest to start working with these miners. And it may not be the case in every state, But generally, utility companies and a lot of the local governments actually favor Bitcoin mining today because it creates extra jobs. It creates a lot of extra cash flow. It creates a new form of consumption for utilities that didn't exist 10 years ago. So many of the governments have started to favor Bitcoin a lot more. And the media has partly helped with that because the media has done a really good job of talking about Bitcoin's strengths and its ultimate use cases. So we're seeing more and more of these strategies of, you know, people that are experienced with mining teaming up with local government utility providers and using that to their advantage.
0: That's really interesting. I know Pavel and Christy, you guys both have your own respective full-time jobs, but if you were able to lay down everything and somebody had said, let's start up a mining farm together. This unknown person has unlimited resources and has the latest hardware and equipment. So getting your hands on the latest equipment is not a problem in this hypothetical situation. In what country would you guys set up that mining farm and why? I mean, I'm curious to, as you had said, Christy, about some of these countries that are more friendly towards mining operations, as well as, of course, all those neat and interesting case studies of, of different agreements that uh, miners have been able to ring up. Maybe we can start, uh, Pavel, with you, but where would you hypothetically <laughs> set up
2: such a mining farm? Given the constraints, I would just pick Czech Republic because I'm living here and it would be the best for my life together to stay here, not to move to some other other world. Because unlimited money, it would just make me being a participant who would mine for Bitcoin's best. So if the money is not the trouble, I would stay here. But the question would probably be, if this is uh, driven by economics, then I would have to do my research where I can get the best electricity price. And this would drive the decision because miner has two critical inputs. One is hardware and the second is electricity. If the hardware is not an issue, then the electricity is the worst thing to solve. So it would be driven by this. And I, I'm not in the situation myself. We were approached a few times to participate in some mining operations. And we always said, we do work in mining, in Bitcoin mining, but still operating the facility is a completely different game. And it would be destruction for us to do this part of mining process. Uh, So I didn't do any research on this question before. and I would be curious myself where I would end up being.
1: (laughs) Christy, how about you? Um, the first question I would ask of this mysterious investor with unlimited resources <laughs> is why on earth Bitcoin mining? Why is that your your chosen uh, investment? The second thing I would ask is what is the risk tolerance? So um, many people uh, have risk tolerance, and then they would seek you know lower electricity in some of the politically unstable countries, and they'd be okay with handling that. Some investors might choose to stay within Canada or within the U.S., parts of Sweden or the European Union. Personally, I would probably pick the U.S. still. For many years, I was very much against the U.S. And after being involved here for um, two years now, I'm starting to see the potential there are in a lot of these, um, we call them rust belt states here in the U.S., There's still a lot of untapped power in the US. There's still a lot of opportunity. And if you go into areas like North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, you see a lot of these states still have lots of capacity, um, lots of raw talent as well, which you can train up. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. Electricity rates around the world are quite standardized. So, You run into quite a few people that advertise they have two or three cent electricity. Um, There's always gotchas. In the U.S., it's pretty much all standardized. It's usually coming out to about three to four cents with all your taxes and all of your rebates in place. So that makes it really easy to pick sort of a site. And in general, the U.S. does operate a lot more transparently than some of the other countries. And um, it's a lot easier as, you know, an individual to just go up, get the necessary licenses, get the necessary land and start up a farm. And then my second choice would, of course, be Sweden because it's fantastically cold there, great climate, very welcoming government. And in general, there's there's a lot of opportunity over there for building out a very large-scale operation.
0: It's interesting that both of your initial responses to this question was where you guys are based now, <laughs> the US and, and Czech Republic. Um, it's really
2: driven by, by the optimization function. You know, If you give me a proper objective function, then we can start to discuss what the proper response would be. But if it's really open-ended question like you put it, I would optimize my well-being. So the choice would be super easy.
0: That in and of itself, I think is quite telling. And I think, Christy, going back to that first question of why Bitcoin is a really important one to just spend a few minutes on discussing, because with the upcoming halving, rewards will be 50% less on the network. And you had said that hash power and that difficulty will likely rise again in the next couple of weeks. And I'm curious to know whether the number of Bitcoin miners will continue to increase over time or decrease?
1: In terms of individuals, so corporations, I actually think it's going to decrease. Bitcoin has reached a point where it started to become very much industrialized. And um, a lot of the competition is slowly being squeezed out. And so we're going to see slowly a lot of these smaller operations and medium-sized miners get um, pushed out by some of these larger operations. Or alternatively, what's going to end up happening is we're going to see more, I would say, hosting providers step into space, into the space. And their whole goal is just to provide you know, rack space for Bitcoin operations. And those Bitcoin miners might be owned by individuals and investors. But I think we're going to see, you know, the number of wholly owned independent mining operations slowly decrease to just a handful. Um, it happens in any sort of industry that eventually becomes very competitive. Pavel, would you
0: agree? what are, What are your thoughts on that question?
2: Yeah, I would completely agree. There is the efficiency of scale uh, kicking in, and you can see the last six, seven, eight years. Uh, the numbers of people who are contributing is steadily decreasing. Like Slushpool is operating since 2010, but of course changing uh, share of the network. But still we have a long history of seeing how users are changing their behavior, how the distribution of a share is uh, changing towards bigger and bigger miners. So this is just, I think, what is going to happen in the future as well. The, the pressure is, is here, the economical uh, incentives are here. Uh, it's gonna follow, I think. I don't like it personally, but there is not a lot of things what you can do against it. It's a matter of efficiency.
0: And I can imagine that also the technical innovations in hardware going from widely available CPUs to GPUs to now ASICs have also had a big impact on this. And that will be a topic of another upcoming Bitcoin Having 2020 podcast. Shameless plug there on my end. One (laughs) final closing question for both of you guys that I've been asking all show guests on this podcast is what is one global trend and or event outside of the having that you guys are keeping a particularly close eye on when it comes to impacts, and repercussions to the Bitcoin mining industry.
1: Chrissy? Miner buy and sell strategies.
0: Can you elaborate a little further on on
1: what you mean by that? So how miners are selling um, and when they're selling uh, globally actually affects the price of Bitcoin um, very subtly. And um, one of the trends that I've talked about publicly is that miners um, sell a portion of their Mine cryptocurrencies, mostly medium operations and small, not so much the large ones, but they sell it on a uh, monthly cycle or a weekly cycle that corresponds with their electricity bill. And so if you're actually able to track when the utility companies send out their bills and when miners are paying it, you can actually predict a little bit of price profitability um, in Bitcoin. And this has been a global trend for, I would say roughly, four years, it started to become more and more predominant. There are signals out there. That specifically has been uh, decreasing as we get towards the halving. Um, not by a lot, nothing alarming, just a very small amount. And still not sure why. But that's one of the global trends that I've been tracking uh, when it comes to Bitcoin mining. Very cool.
0: Pavel?
2: I would say a similar thing. There's a lot of discussion about Derivatives for difficulty. Uh, So the whole topic of financial behavior of miners, how they can work with the risk, it's a very interesting area. We can see mining and financial systems getting closer to each other, and and there is an interesting area here. And one more topic which we tend to follow closely lately or I would be interested in As a development on the firmware side, Uh, there is still a lot of what can be done and what's what's going to happen in in following months and years. And yeah, it interests me very much as well. Hmm.
0: Thank you guys so much for sharing with me your insights and giving me such detailed responses to all of my questions. This was another episode of Bitcoin Having 2020. For everyone that's listening, you can follow these two on Twitter. Pavel's handle is at M-O-R underscore P-A-V. And Christy's handle is at, oh God, a girl. All one word and pretty epic in my opinion. I'm Christine Kim, a research analyst for Coindesk. For more research-related crypto insights on the upcoming Bitcoin halving, be sure to check out our newly released Coindesk Research Halving Report up now on the Coindesk website, Coindesk.com. It features additional commentary from both Christy and Pavel, as well as last week's show guest, Luxor Technologies' Ethan Vera, and a bunch of other industry voices. So do be sure to download the PDF report. You can stay up to date about what Coindesk Research is producing, whether that be more reports, webinars, and podcast episodes through our Twitter channel, which is at Coindesk Data. Thank you everyone again for listening and talk to you guys next time.